Yes, a very good afternoon. Welcome into the Rugby Run. Nothing better than kicking off sort of Sunday midday with a little bit of guns and roses. What a remarkable weekend of Super Rugby. Arguably the Blues' best performance of the season. Getting up over the Reds in Queensland by 45 points to 26. Remember the Reds coming off a victory against the Chiefs a week earlier. The Highlanders, they won... But they won ugly. But a win is a win, beating the Rebels by 20 points to 17. The Chiefs beat the Hurricanes. I think that was always expected, considering that the Hurricanes had rested their marquee All Blacks. Mind you, the Hurricanes hung tough. It was a very good game in terrible conditions. But the big result over the weekend, and it has a huge impact on the table, it benefits the New Zealand sides as the Western Force have upset the Brumbies by 34 points to 19. It is now the Chiefs and the Crusaders who sit one and two on the table. The Brumbies under even more pressure because this week they will host the Chiefs. My co-host for the next two hours here on the Rugby Run is All Black great Justin Marshall. Afternoon to you, Justin. Good afternoon to you, uh, Mark, and um, welcome in to everybody for the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Hit the nail on the head. What a fascinating round of super rugby it was. Uh, some Some... Interesting results. Uh, the ever-changing ladder is constantly keeping us guessing. Uh, and yeah, it was quite entertaining. The Brumbies. I don't think anybody picked that. I felt that the Brumbies were easily the best of the Australian teams, but it just shows how difficult it is to play in Perth and that if you're slightly off, um, other Australian teams will target that top Australian team as you often see in sports like the English Premier League. And wow, 34-19. And comprehensive as well. I actually did watch um, quite a bit of that game. And, uh, you know, the force came out of the blocks like a bull at a gate. And uh, they didn't really relent. You know, the Brumbies sort of had their moments in the game. But the force were quite clearly the better side. They just had better game plan execution. Um, they were more dangerous. And they thoroughly deserved to win. And, and surprisingly, probably didn't win by more. Uh, doesn't help the Highlanders. The fact that the Highlanders managed to somehow um, scramble a, a win out of the game that they played against the Rebels uh, probably would have put them in eights, but um, unfortunately for them, uh, the fourth winning has put their mates on the table. So, yeah, very, very interesting, but majorly uh, catastrophic for the Brumbies. That's been a, that's very hurtful for their title winning chances. Mm-hmm. The Blues-Reds, I thought maybe the Reds might upset the Blues here. Again, I, I just hate this rest and rotation. And you had Finlay Christie not playing. You had Rico Awani not playing. Caleb Clark uh, offered to Angavasi. And we also had Popolihi out suspended. And so more changes rung. But, but they went over there and, yeah, I'll say arguably one of the better performances of the season. Absolutely it was. They were very clinical uh, and the Reds were... Um, very much, as everybody knows, a side that can certainly put a performance on the park uh, if you allow them to. And the Blues just didn't allow them to really function in that game. Um, their defence, again, was very, very good when it needed to be. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, probably after a, a reasonably quiet to lacklustre performance uh, the weekend before from maybe the, some of their stars, they really stood up. I thought, obviously, Mark Taylor was outstanding. Um, Zahn Sullivan was good from the back. He was pretty quiet against the Crusaders. And, and more importantly, Bowden Barrett, unfortunately, until he went off injured, he, he just put a statement game out there, didn't he? Because many were questioning where 
his form was and where he was sitting in the mix, but I thought uh, he just, whether it gave him a jolt or not, maybe some criticism, maybe some some doubts about his inclusion in the Rugby World Cup, he probably would have heard a bit of that, but he certainly responded in spades. Yeah, yeah what did the Blues, how did the Blues um, negate what the Chiefs couldn't do a week earlier? I just didn't think they allowed, I, I, they certainly didn't allow um, the, the Chiefs to get into them physically uh, because they've got quite a robust back row, uh, the Reds, um, but up front, you know, they, they have some firepower, but it's questionable. Um, the Chiefs just sort of let them physically get into the game against them. Um, the Blues were quite dominant up front. I thought Tupilotu was, was, was very good. Even guys like Ricky Riccatelli fronted up. Um, and the front row was outstanding. Um, Renata, again, he's, he's looking um, like, you know, a rejuvenated man. He's got, um, you know, he's getting great opportunities. He's, he's providing to be uh, a very good prop option for them. Um, the loose forward trio of Choate, etc. they all stood up again. Akira Iwani um, and, and Hoskins Tutu, they, they all just got stuck in and they didn't allow the Reds into the game. And then, bang, obviously, when mm. your forward pack gets stuck in like that, and even with the players you mentioned missing from the back line, uh, like like Rico, um, Caleb Clark, etc. That backline still functioned really well off the back of a good forward pack and just shut the Reds out of the game. The Highlanders, yes, they had a win, uh, but they've been, let's be honest, pretty damn woeful this season. They currently sit in ninth. I mean, a lot of people will argue they don't actually deserve to be in the playoffs. How, how concerned should we be, bigger picture, that we've got one of our five franchises really struggling? Is it is it uh, symbolic of the lack of depth in New Zealand rugby or is it just it's just a phase and they will bounce back and we will have five strong super rugby franchises here in, in two or three years from now? Well, again, we, we have to enter into the debate, don't we, of arguably, not arguably, quite definitely two teams struggling and they're struggling because of depth. And you just wonder if there was an ability to amalgamate that talent um, between the Highlanders and um, Rhino Pacifica, whether or not you would formulate one strong team with depth. The problem for both of those sides is they can functionally put out a reasonably good starting 15, but once it gets down to the nitty-gritty and and a couple of injuries, they just don't have the capacity like the other teams to function well enough when they lose key players or when they have a run a, a run of injuries, which, which happens to all sides. Um, I had a, a really interesting chat um, pre-game yesterday to Ben Smith, who came wandering up um, to me and uh, on the field, and uh, I just sort of said, "How are you finding coaching, etc." And um, he said he's really enjoying it. Uh, he said, "You know, it's not easy when you're not winning," uh, but he said that's coaching sometimes. But the one thing he did say was, "You know, we're kind of in a little bit of a funny patch because we're we've got some talented youngsters, but these talented youngsters are only still 19, 20." And Super Rugby is a stepping stone to Test Rugby to a degree. So, you know, they're probably not quite ready week in, week out for the demands of that. And then so, you know, where, where do we go in terms of our development? We don't have a mountain pit full of money to be able to buy in lots and lots of imports. And that's not really de- developing from our franchise. Um, so what he's alluding to is, yeah, we've got a bit of a debt problem. Um, but equally, do we go backwards to actually finally... Um, make progress in a couple of years, but it's going to take a bit of pain by bringing those guys through.
Yeah, so, so therefore relying heavily on the NPC competition, aren't we? And so, Justin, if yep. that, that, that's such an important tier for New Zealand rugby, which I think has been neglected and continues to be neglected, is there an argument then at NPC level that there should be a use-by date put on players? And so, you know, veterans step aside, let the young talent come through so we can develop them. Or do you still need to have a level of experience with an NPC for those young guys to learn from? I think you do still need that combination of, of having good experienced players who who are total professionals to, to teach the, the youngsters about it's not just about playing, it's about your attitude for a, for a week leading into a game, it's about your training method, it's about your review, your preview of games um, individually and as a team collectively and I, I think there's no substitute for that apart from players that have been there and done mm. that before. Um, it's no doubt, I agree with you, that the NPC is a vitally important stepping stone for our talent to nurture it through and to be able to play consistent super rugby. And it's proved to be very valuable um, in, in making those steps. And I think re- re- more recently we've seen players through good NPC campaigns, you know, force their way into super rugby teams, which is which is great. So. Yeah, there's no doubt that I think Super Rugby in general um, just needs a a boost in terms of making it even more competitive. Uh, And and I'll I'll keep going back to the fact I think, you know, there's no doubt that we need to make four or five teams in New Zealand maximum and make them stronger. And Australia need to do the same and and just sort of converge all that talent to, to make for better spectacles, better contests each week, you know relying on the draw to go, oh, there's a couple of good games in here of two or three of the top teams. These should be interesting. And then not be really interested Mm. in the other ones because those teams aren't capable of beating the top teams. Mm. We need to get to the point where, like I remember the first um, few years of Super 12 uh, with the South African teams involved, there were 12 strong teams and you couldn't be off Mm. at all on any week because everyone was capable of beating each other. You wouldn't say that's the case now, would you? No, Justin, but it's also not helped. And I know that Mark Robinson's come out and spoken about it, and I don't want to keep harping on about this every week. But, I mean, I did watch it last night, but, boy, there was a part of me that just wanted to refuse watching that Chiefs-Highlanders Hurricanes game because of the fact no Artie Severe, because of the fact that they would have no Mm. Geordie Barrett in it. And just sitting there going, this rest and rotation is just, you, you know, you've already talked about the disparity between the top teams and the bottom teams. Then you throw in this rest and rotation, and I'm just sitting there as a fan going, where is my engagement? Why is my Hurricanes fan going to turn up and watch that game last night when really you knew it was going to come down to key moments, but those key moments, the Hurricanes perhaps could have won if you had have had a likes of Via or Barrett on the park. Um, yeah, and then like you say, Rebels, Moana, Pacifica, Fiji and Drua. I mean, you just sit there. You know every week it's just a damn ball fest. Yep. Again, you know, I totally agree with your points. Um, look, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll be quite honest. Uh, I stopped watching the Crusaders game. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, once they pulled out by 20-odd points or whatever, I actually switched it over to see what, what, what rugby league game was on. Yeah. Um, but see, that's coming, and, and simply, but Justin, that's coming from you, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If that's coming from you, imagine what the rest of the fans doing. You know, when you guys were playing, you were what I call appointment viewing. You were the default setting at night. It's no longer. Yeah. You know, I loved it. I seriously loved it when Carlos shoved it up you boys. I loved it when Mert shoved it up the South Africans. You know, I yeah. love that angst. I, I love that 
um, time where you had, you know, Hart versus Mains and then Blackadder versus thing, Mark Carter versus Reuben Thorne, all of that. None of it's there mm. anymore, mate. No, yeah, and, and you, you, again, then you take out of the equation a genuine contest as yeah. well. It makes it even a harder watch, and uh, that, that was the reason that's absolutely not meaning any disrespect towards the Crusaders. They just looked like they were on song, they were in method, and they were never going to lose that game. It was just about how much they were going to, w- going to win it by. So I was like, okay, well, you're going well. You're not having a day where you've rested a few players and you're going to get caught out like you did against the Andrua. And they proved to just go on and do that. So it, it, it lost my interest um, quite quickly. But yeah, exactly. Look, going back to your original point, I had quite a busy week, what I believe it or not, and I got a bit distracted and I wasn't sort of over the rugby news for the week. Um I really sort of just focused in at the end of the week and then I focused in on the game I was doing for Sky, which was the Highlanders game, obviously. Yep. But I was really looking forward to doing that game given it was an afternoon game and then mm. sitting down with a cold beer and watching what I thought was going to be a genuine contest and I did not know that those Hurricanes players weren't involved. And when I turned the TV on and saw there was no Geordie Barrett and um, particularly Artie Savia, it just it, it pissed me off because I was like looking forward to two of the top four sides going hard at it and what could have been a real genuine contest, but you took a bit of the, the, the rest rotation, took the sting out of the match. And I, I, yeah, I must admit as a viewer, just as a general rugby fan, I was disappointed that for that particular game, those players had to be rested. It was like, of all the games, why couldn't it be, you know, one that wasn't one that we all wanted to sit down and watch and see them go toe to toe with all their best players out there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely preaching you're inverted. You might have some thoughts on that one. You can text us here on double eight double three. A little bit later in the programme, we will catch up and talk to Rod Kafer shortly out of Australia and a little bit after one o'clock to Chiefs assistant coach Ross Filippo. It is 15 minutes after 12. You're listening to the Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great, Justin Marshall. Yes, indeed. 19 minutes after 12, Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great, Justin Marshall. Justin, just going back to that Crusaders um, Moana Pacifica game, and like you, I was interested in Corey Callow. He's the nephew of Cameron Brown, Ironman, who's a very close friend of mine, and I've watched the young fella come through. But one thing I thought Moana were good at, I thought their scrum was excellent on Friday night. They seem to have a parity with uh, that Crusaders side, which um, is an area where I think they've been found wanting at times. Yeah, they have been, and obviously there's no doubt that they needed to shore up not only their scrum, but their uh, driving line-out more defence as well. Um, some areas where they were quite uh, significantly off the other teams last year, and they have improved. Um, you know, that was a still a very good Crusaders pack. You know, you've got um, the likes of Brodie McAllister, who's playing well, and Tamaiti Williams, who's equally playing well. So they certainly still did have some firepower. Scott Barrett was still out there. Um, uh, Cullen Grace. So, you know, that's still a good Crusader scum, scrum. So the fact that um, Minor Pacifica were able to um, get parity there, like you said, was good. It goes to show you that now they've established a base which has been able to function off set piece with a not a bad platform from scrum and their lineout certainly improved. Why have they fallen away so much from where they were last year? Because they didn't have that platform, but yet we're probably, mm. well, we're definitely more competitive. Mm. Uh, one player, and again, I keep an eye on him more because of my connections through Manabit Grammar School, Jack Goodyear. I thought, again, some lovely little deft touches again. Great vision. Yep. Very intelligent footballer. Doesn't maybe bring the speed that you get with Rico Awani, but very intelligent footballer. Yeah, he is. Great defender. Uh, he, he just 
plays the role so much differently than others. Um, you know, he's he's a good, hard, strong, direct carrier. Uh, he picks good lines. Uh, he's got real great spatial awareness of depth and perception, which a centre needs, you know. And, and when I say that, people go, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, it means that you, when you are going to carry or you want to be a threat or even show defenders that you could possibly get the ball, your line's slightly different. It's slightly uh, more aggressive. Um, and it's really challenging a defender to make a quick decision, or is when you've recognised there's space for your outside backs, you just take an extra metre, um, so you've got that time to distribute. You can still fix the defender, but you're not going to get your pass knocked down or tackled before you can get it away. Jack Goody's very, very good at that. So his space awareness is outstanding, and I think he recognises as well when opportunities outside him exist, and I think you just have to look at the try that Will Jordan scored. Like Goodhue, under pressure... You know, pretty much left uh, Will Jordan to run and um, untouched simply because he got a defender at the same time, but still got his pass away, and you know that's what good players do. Mm. Okay, look, I've some criticism over the Hurricanes. Uh, I'd love to have seen Jacobson up against Artie Severe and Artie Severe, and whether the likes of Kane, Sawa, Cooler, etc., could have handled him. Mm. Putting that to one side, in some pretty atrocious conditions, I actually thought the standard of football was very good. I mean, the ball carrying, the um, you know ruck speed. Uh, the direct play in trying conditions, the handling skills, I thought from both sides was, was superb. I think that's probably the annoying part of it, what I was, the fact that had, had, had the Hurricanes in particular been at full strength, we could have got one hell of a game despite the conditions. Um, so that's probably what everybody's feeling a little let down about. But yes, you're right. I thought the quality of performance, given those conditions, which were at times just simply atrocious, like... That, that wasn't just rain, that was downpour after downpour and uh, that makes handling, that makes uh, maintaining the ball in contact difficult when someone hits you hard, puts a shoulder into you, it's easy for the ball to spew out. Um, that didn't happen a lot, so it goes to show you the skill set of the players was of the highest quality in those conditions, which was good because it could have actually turned into to a pretty miserable um, game, but the players kept the, the level high enough that it was still entertaining. And it was still a contest. I thought the Hurricanes, despite being depowered, um, you know, they, they gave it a decent go and uh, they had their moments in the game. Um, I think when it came down to the nitty-gritty, the, the Chiefs were just too strong up front with mm. Metallic and Co. When they needed to front up, get their line out going, their more Taukiaho showed his class. They just... They were just a bit tougher on the night. Now, how tough they would have been if Artie Savier was standing in their way? And that's the question we've got to ask. Mm. Uh, we talked about Jack Goodyear for the Crusaders. I've been a big fan of this guy last year, back from injury. Alex Nankerville, another sort of very mm. underrated footballer in this country because he's sort of more that traditional centre. He is, yeah. And uh, it's, it's a quality player that can uh, occupy that jersey and, and play the position well. And there's no doubt about the fact that Alex Nankerville can play centre incredibly well and he's been asked to adjust at times playing a little bit of 12 and equally on the wing when, when needed. But you certainly feel that his best position is suited to centre. Um, again, he, he is a good, hard, direct runner. Um, probably got a little bit more of an outside, outside break than Jack Goodyear. Uh, good, good set of skills on him. And yeah, it just goes to show you that we have some real quality centres around the country that... We're trying to see whether or not they're, they're able to step up. Um, you know, there probably needs to be more of a platform for them to, to do that because I also feel Billy Proctor's playing very well 
at the moment too. So, yeah, t- two very promising centres that um, you know we should keep an eye on. But I think Nankable's heading overseas, isn't he? Yeah, he is heading overseas. We've got some good texts, mm. which I will address too, and one of them talks about possibly going back to a possible versus probables versus uh, yeah. north versus south sort of all-black type trials. Oh, look, just, just before we um, take that next break and then come back and... Um, head across the ditch and catch up with Rod Kafer. I just just want to sort of wrap up this Super Rugby five teams, four teams getting quality amongst our New Zealand teams. Is the solution here, Justin, we may have touched on it last week, but is the solution here that Moana Pacifica become part of the MPC and then a direct feeder to the Highlanders? I do like the idea. Yes, because um, that seems to me. That... You've just sorry. You just mentioned earlier about you know what Ben Smith was saying about young guys coming through, but it's too mm. big a step up to Super Rugby. You feel with Moana Pacifica, it's maybe just too big a step up, and for their long term development, NPC probably would be the better stepping stone. Absolutely, you know, and, and you could argue the same for the for the Endura. Yeah, the Endura are doing better, but now they've started to fall away in the latter half of the season. Um, you know, they're propping up the table again. Um, and yes, they've had a couple of you know standout results and some good quality performances, but you know that they, they also need to continue to be developed. Um, so you could argue that you could maybe formulate a side in the NPC that is a combination of the Endura and Moana Pacifica, uh, and th- then all of a sudden you're, you're continue, continuing that develop, development. And if you were to drop Moana Pacifica out of the equation, they were then a feeder into the super rugby teams and then equally, um, you know, maybe just lighten, I guess, the thought process towards the Endure that they can actually be more of a, a cultural side than just Fijians and that side would get stronger as well. So all of a sudden, whether they're called the Endure or, or, or Moana Endure, um, they get stronger because they correlate their talent and all of a sudden, instead of being competitive, they're starting to win games. And so it's all about, yeah, just trying to congeal all of this talent and make the squads more competitive, the players um, fighting for positions and having depth when they get injuries or bad form. Could Super Rugby, though, could, could it survive and would fans buy into just five New Zealand Super Rugby franchises, three Australian franchises, so we went with the Brumbies, the Reds and the Waratahs, or would we need to bring the Hagueries back in? Do we need to – where do we get greater depth of competition outside of just Australia and New Zealand, or could it exist with an 18 comp? Yeah, it's it's difficult to try and think about who misses out, probably is the first conundrum um, in, in the whole equation, because – you certainly don't see the force of the rebels wanting to to be missing, uh, and they've argued that point for a very long time. And equally, you know, the the, the five New Zealand franchises um, do exist, and they've been there right from from the outset. But you know, you've got to try and think about whether or not that the, they could actually uh, look. You don't really need to amalgamate a Highlanders and Crusaders just to make a South Island side, do you? Because the Crusaders are just so strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, but you, you're right. Like, oh. even eight teams wouldn't be enough. You'd have to look outside of that again to try and see. But I, I quite like the idea of the of the, the Drua and Moana Pacifica combining as an Islands-type team. Um, and then maybe a 10th team is, again, maybe going back to either Argentina or Japan, possibly. 
It is 29 minutes after 12. You are listening to The Rugby Run. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're here across the ditch and we'll catch up with former Wallaby Rod Kafer. No, far better looking than Ricardo Boy. Don't quite have his hair cut anyway. Speaking of good looking, we've got an Australian on board, Rod Kafer. Afternoon to you, Rod. Good afternoon. And now, uh, Justin and Rod, I've got a question for both of you. I was watching some highlights at home of the Paikokariki Express, Christian Cullen. Um, Justin, how much of a freak was this guy? What was it like playing alongside of him? And Rod, what was it like playing against him? And how much emphasis was put on trying to stop Christian Cullen? I remember talking to some All Blacks in the 1990s and they summed him up saying, you knew it was coming, but you still couldn't stop it. Uh, yeah, well, indeed. I'll, you go, Marsh. You, you go, go, and then you I'll go, tell Rod, a story. No, Rod, you, Rod, go, Rod. you go. You go. You go. You <laughs> go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, at his peak, Cully, he was one of those players that was a go-to, really. You just wanted to give him the ball uh, with a little bit of time and space um, for him to be able to weave all of his magic. And uh, it was such a valuable weapon to have that you could poke Jonah's nose at defenders um, which would hold a couple and then just give Cully a bit of space. And uh, he was the one player that I saw uh, in my time that nobody else could replicate. I've been able to, to beat a player with quite a significant sidestep or goose step or whatever it might be and not leave, lose any pace or momentum in doing so. And that was a rare, rare feat. Yeah, and um, Marshy, I remember 1996, the Brumbies play our second ever game of Super Rugby and it's against the Wellington Hurricanes and Cully had, was maybe, I don't know, 18 or 19 was very, very young and he just obviously played his first game and played well in the first round and we were doing some um, videotapes, some old VHS analysis back in the day and we, and we saw this kid thinking he's pretty sharp. Anyway I was at that time playing fullback and for the Brumbies and he was also playing fullback. And um, I was thinking to myself going to that game as a portly 100-kilo fullback coming up against this whippet <laughs> of 85 kilos, but as quick as anything, uh, that I might have some issues. Anyway, he made a break early in the game on that day. And as a fullback coming across in cover, you would always you know, try to shepherd those side you know, players to the sideline, use the sideline as your friend. And, of course, I did that and positioned him around the sideline and then he just burnt me cold, and I didn't get within 10 metres of him, and he scored a try under the post. Virtually his first touch of the game. He did it to me twice. I think he scored three tries that day against us um, as a young man, second game of Super Rugby, and uh, what a talent. And I'll, I'll never forget it. I did not even get, didn't even get a hand on him, and he just blew past me like I wasn't even there. He wasn't the first player to do that, mind you, Marsh, as you can recall. There were plenty who did, but... What a player he was, one of the greatest I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely remarkable talent. Okay, Rod, let's switch and put the focus back on this weekend's round of Super Rugby. And I guess the one that's had the greatest impact on the table and probably nobody was picking, and that was the force to beat the Brumbies by 34 points to 19. Um, take us through this game. I mean, what happened to the Brumbies and why were the force so good? Well, I think the force, I mean, if we, if we look to the force, the force have been. Um, a team that's um, been in many games this season. They're a, they're a you know, hard-fighting team. They're well-coached by a name that's very familiar with New Zealand rugby in Simon Cron. Um, they've got, a, they've got a, 
a building of momentum going on over there. And then you temper that with the Brumbies, uh, you know, taking the opportunity. As, as we do in World Cup years, everyone knows the the script. You, you, you do rest players at a certain time. There's, you know, um, requirements coming down from the national body about loads for players. And this was a game, obviously, where the Brumbies rested a number of players. Um, sent across an inexperienced squad and what you hope as a coach is that you give that opportunity to those inexperienced players and they can can take it. What The, the, the flip side of that coin, of course, is that um, the opposition team, when they see a team resting, players against you take that as a sign of disrespect and that lifts them 20% and you lose 20% and in the end um, you get dusted in the game. A, a, a real disappointment, obviously, for the Brumbies. Not clearly what they'd expect, but you have to then balance that against um, what what happens towards the end of the year. Now, we may look back at this game and think it was the worst thing that the Brumbies could possibly do and they've missed their chance at a you know, home semi or a, or a home final, perhaps. Um, all of those things may be factors, but equally, it might be a, a, great, um, a great move. They, they lose this game. They re-inspire themselves to play very well, obviously, next week against the tabletopping Chiefs and or... Um, have their players a little fresher towards the back end of the season. You know, it's a long, you know, the five-hour plane trip to Perth, the impact it has on players who are carrying injuries, et cetera, et cetera. There is some, there is some uh, silver lining to this very dark cloud, but um, that's, the, that's the nature of the game in a World Cup year. You, you're going to get these things that happen. Yeah, well, they, they, they will obviously hopefully um, be able to bounce back because they're going to need to against the Chiefs, as you mentioned, Kaif. Uh But equally, they kind of have taken a little bit of their destiny out of their control, which, you know, you've got to wonder whether or not um, that will hurt them uh, in, in, in finals football. But uh, they are a difficult prospect in Canberra, as always. Um, do, do you see their ability um, and being able to just put this behind them? And, and are they more than capable of beating the Chiefs? Well, I think they've got they've got a game that uh, I said last time they're the only Australian team with a game that can really compete you know, consistently against New Zealand opposition. This particular type of game you have to play. Australia plays a type of game. New Zealand rugby plays a type of game. South African rugby, you know, plays a type of game. And I think uh, the the Brumbies have the the attributes to be able to compete um, consistently. You know, we all know that occasionally teams can do well against different teams, but. Over the last couple of decades, Marsh, in fact, since you retired, New Zealand rugby's been so dominant, it's been very difficult for Australian teams to ever get consistency. But, um, you know, the Brumbies have developed just a little bit of that, you know, the first start for that over the last couple of years. Um, so, I, so I think they've actually got the game. They've got a, you know, they've really got a very um, a good defensive system that they work very well. They've got a good, very good set piece, a good mall team, and they're good on the ground. They compete heavily on the floor at rucks, um, and they're aggressive. And, and you know, all of those attributes mean that, that you can play occasionally. They score tries and do, this, you know, do the things they've got to do. But um, I, I think they can compete against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are in a different, you know, at a different level. They've got, a, they've got um, some momentum in their game and the way they're playing and a, and a, and a style of game, which is a step them apart. Um, and the Brumbies have got to, you know, rise to that challenge to see if they can. And it's, it's a, you know, fantastic prospect deep into the season to see sort of, you know, two of the, two of the, you know, real top end of the teams coming against each other as they're heading towards finals. And I think we know that, you know, the finals, they're going to be in the finals just where they all finish up. Um, we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, these are teams that will probably play each other again 
at some stage in the year, and you know this will be a fantastic, a fantastic game. Okay, well let's let's break down the rest of them then. Um, well, the, the Rebels are a bit unlucky; they got pipped at the post um, against the Highlanders. Uh, probably, well, definitely seals their fate. But the Waratahs with a good enough win over the uh, Druids, so that that's got them sixth on the table. Um, they're quite clearly. Well, they're eight points ahead of the Reds, so they're, they're the one side, I guess, that is got, well, they're the other Australian side that's definitely going to be in the eight, and then the Force, obviously, have just entered into the eight with that great win. Um, Waratah's got the Crusaders at the weekend. Uh, how do you see them approaching that, Kate? Do you do you see them going there full strength um, and ready to rock and roll and tip the Crusaders over, or do you see them perhaps just keeping their powder dry for the finals? No, they they have to go there. Full strength. They've, you know, they've four wins in a row now for the um, for the Waratahs. And I said a couple of weeks ago to you that this was this is a team that will end the season strongly. They had a lot of injuries early season. They went through this process of trying to make all of their players bigger, and then they suffered because of that. They weren't fit at the start. You know, they weren't rugby match fit. They were gym fit at the start of the year, and and they've now built themselves into a a bit of momentum and. And they've got, they've got a roster. They've got a decent enough roster, you know, to at least be competitive. Of course, I don't see them consistently beating um, New Zealand teams. Uh, they're not. They just don't have that level of play at the moment for long enough to be able to stay in the match for long enough. So um, that's going to be their other thing. But every week that goes by for the Waratahs, they get incrementally better. And I, I mean that in the way that. They started off the season without that real, you know, rugby match fitness concept. They're now building into that, and I feel like they're probably coming to the peak of that in, in the next couple of weeks, which is fantastic for them. I don't necessarily know it was by design, but it's what happens. I've, I've seen this model play out in years gone by. So the, they're at, they're in a point where they are they are and have a little bit of momentum. You know, it's a it's a massive task, of course, playing the Crusaders. I don't expect them to win, but I expect them to go there with the intention that they need to win this match and they need to play as well as they can to at least build some confidence into the, into the finals. And they will be a very difficult prospect for any team to be playing, mm. particularly if they can find themselves in that you know five, six, seven position when they're when they're going to be taking on you know two, three, or four. Um, they're going to be a difficult prospect in the finals. Rod Kafer is our guest here on the Rugby One. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall. Rod, uh, look, uh, just finally on the Reds. I um, mean, beaten 45 points to 26 a week earlier, celebrating like they won the Rugby World Cup, beating the unbeaten Chiefs. Um, was it one of, as a commentator, um, as somebody who follows the game closely in Australia, was it disappointment? Was it one of embarrassment? Or was this just more... The Reds' default setting in the week earlier was probably more a exception to the rule rather than the rule. Yeah, I think the latter. Um, the, the Reds have been in a, a bit of a downward spiral for some time. They've, you know, they're sort of they. Brad, Brad Thorne went into the role, you know, qu- quite a few years ago. It might be is it five or six years ago, whenever it was, maybe six years, um, with a view of, you know, getting rid of the old guard, bringing in a new guard, and. Um, bringing in some young players and had success with them, and and you know, when I say success here in Australia, we you know, managed to win the when when we were COVID and split won won a won the tournament over here, um, which was a fantastic 
you know, a good achievement for 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 Brad. But it, but it was really, you know, not not necessarily a, a, a very great standard to be winning that comp at the time. He then um, he, he then really battled to find consistency in um, you know some of these young guys and hasn't probably um, you know got the most out of them. The guys who then are now his senior players and. You know, there's this sense that, um, you know, within teams, as we all know, they go through cycles. Um, you know, they're, they're, he's coming to the end of his coaching cycle. They've announced that. So there's all that background to it. It's, they're just a little bit unsettled, the, the Reds. And they're, they're, again, not a team who haven't been able to play with any consistency at all, which is sort of what you expect from teams that are going through a transition of, you know, an, uh, their current coach going out and all those other things that we see in squads that, that you know, unsettles people. And... And, and that's all happening as a backdrop for them. So they, they've got, you know, a reasonable talent pool. They've got some, you know, some very good one-off players. You know, Fraser McWright at their open side, I think is the best open side in Australia at the moment by a long way. You know, they've got other guys who, who can be game-changers, Tate McDermott. Um, you know, they've had injuries with Kenny Abeltutba being out for a long time. So, um, you know, they've had, a, they've had a normal season with the ups and downs of it, but they are a, a side who have... Under, under Brad, particularly after his first two years, never really been able to um, week in, week out be consistent. So doesn't surprise me to see them play brilliantly well one week and horribly the next. Rod Kafer, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us this afternoon here on the Rugby Run. Enjoy the rest of your day. Pleasure. Thanks, Jen. Rod Kafer there, former Wallaby Mark Watson, Justin Marshall. You are listening to the Rugby Run Power, your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Justin and I will address the wonderful texts that have been sent into the program. That text number, of course, is double eight double three. Yeah, nine minutes away from one o'clock. Coming up after one, we'll catch up with Chiefs assistant coach Ross Filippo. But let's go to your texts. I, I love this one, Justin. I had to have a wee laugh when I read this one. The phases of rain were interesting. We tried the idea of an ice cream at half time to keep us engaged. But after watching another 10 minutes, we switched it off and went to bed and watched a steam train documentary. The Highlanders game was good. <laughs> dear, oh dear, oh dear. Steam train documentary here. Yeah, New Zealand rugby need to start listening. All right, that's all I'm going to say about it. Now, Scott Logan's text and very well known in high performance sport he says and I'll get you to address this one Justin could Super Rugby work making seven New Zealand teams one team for every two NPC regions with NPC being a concurrent feeder league instead of a separate time of the year would make global calendar easy so I think he's suggesting Northland, North Harbour Auckland counties say Waikato Bay are plenty and then you get maybe what the Hawks Bay and uh, Manawatu possibly sharing or along those lines yeah, which, you know, again, you, you are helping and creating better depth uh, and creating, you know, more com- competitiveness within um, each province as well. Um, so, yeah, mixing it in with Super Rugby, though, is obviously a massive minefield because you've got to consider the other countries as well um, and, 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 you know, particularly Australia. Um, New Zealand's got a very heavy mindset at the moment that they want to continue to develop and help uh, Pacifica Rugby, um, so that's got to sort of try and play its part in there somewhere as well. Um, yeah, there's there's obviously lots of ideas and, and plenty of people have thoughts about how we could make all of the competitions better and more competitive and more interesting to watch. Uh, it's just about uh, also making sure that we continue to try and grow um, the competitions that exist um, into better competitions and 
Um, I certainly feel that there still is a place for super. I just feel that it needs some tweaking to make it more interesting. Uh, you know, you look at probably, arguably, what uh, TV and, and rugby is competing with, and that's probably the NRL at the moment in, in Australia. Uh, there's not many games there that are one-sided, are, are there? Even the Dolphins, the new team that have come in, are massively competitive. Mm. I think they're in the top four or five. Uh, every time you, you turn on the TV to watch any of those sides play, you're going to get a genuine contest. Um, that's a little bit what we are lacking at the moment in some of our rugby comps. We, we don't have that, that interest each week because you get games that are so far away from each other yeah. in terms of sides that are stronger than others. Uh, text is coming from Ben. Hi lads, I've enjoyed Super Rugby this year apart from the complete mismatch-ups. I don't agree with enforced rests either. I worry dropping a team might deny a few fringe guys the opportunity to play Super Rugby. Also, what team would you drop would certainly upset a lot of supporters and players. The Super Rugby clubs have a lot of history. Why not just spread the talent a bit more evenly? Should even up the comp a bit. A player draft could be a good option to help us. We have sort of talked about this previously, Justin. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I get that. But I don't, I don't see why there can't be a a competition underneath the main competition. Um, so, for example, whether it's it's an under twenty one style situation or it's just simply that next step of players that are all playing curtain raiser. So when the Crusaders, uh, well, for example, when the Chiefs played the Hurricanes this weekend, the curtain raiser was between that next level of player. Um, and they don't have to play the full round, but they can play a, a, a six-game type comp. And I feel that that, that that gets development, that gets players getting opportunities, players that are not that are in the, the big squads um, who are not getting any game time can drop down to that competition and play in the curtain raiser and they're still on point and in the right place. Okay, it is coming up to one o'clock. We will continue the discussion. More texts, I will get through them. I do appreciate people texting us in here. That text number is 8833. We will open the lines a little bit later too on 0800 150 811. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Tradies and builders, power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. A little bit of Pink Floyd, number one song back in 1980. Uh, Justin, we're going to have Ross, Justin Marshall, Mark Watson with you. Justin, we're going to have Ross Filippo on the programme shortly. Now, behind you, you've got two jerseys sitting up on the wall. Clearly, one is an all-black jersey behind your right shoulder. What's the jersey on the other side? Give us a bit of background on both of the significance of those two jerseys. All right, okay. Yep, the one on the left that you'll be looking at, Watto, is my... um... Test debut jersey, so it's got written underneath it, Test debut, New Zealand versus France, 1995 in the stadium, Park de Plants. Um, it's the old school jersey, so with the white collar, Love the lager on it. Brilliant. Best jersey, <laughs> best jersey. Heavy as hell, mate. When that thing got wet, you were carrying another body around with yeah, you, believe yeah. me. Um, uh, and the other one um, is a test match that I played uh, against Scotland um, in, in Dunedin, so that was uh, in 2001. Uh, and I swapped that jersey uh, with Gary Armstrong. So, yeah, 
Those are, those are two jerseys. I've got quite a few up around the rest of the house, but they're just two that are in this room. No, good on you, good on you. I think it's important to look back on your career, and sometimes it's not about, well, sometimes it's just about a really cool time in your life, isn't it? But like a university degree, it's just a little reminder of yeah. a really cool time in your life. Yeah, it is. I've got probably my significant jerseys that meant uh, the most to me um, framed and, and displayed. Uh you know, the Lions, et cetera, whatever it might be, Crusaders title, 100th, uh, 100th game for the Crusaders, whatever it might be. But the rest of the the rest of the rest jerseys that I accumulated or, or got given, I've pretty much given to charity or to, to, to people that I felt um, were deserved of them. So, yeah, I don't have a box or a, a big mm. stash of jerseys anywhere um, sitting around the house. That's kind of not my thing. I just sort of uh, have always approached it that way. No, brilliant, brilliant, love it. Uh, right, let's catch up with Chiefs assistant coach Ross Filippo. Very good win yesterday up over the Hurricanes and some very testing conditions there in Hamilton. Ross, good afternoon, welcome, thank you. Hey Mark, how are you? Hey, hey Marty. Hey Roscoe. Hey uh, Ross, you must have been delighted with the way your team played in those conditions. I thought the uh, ball handling uh, from both sides was excellent. Yeah, I thought... Um, you know, the, the conditions were pretty atrocious, to be honest. Um, and that was a real highlight of the game that, you know, because it became quite a tight affair, um, some of the handling um, under pressure and guys were carrying right to the line and receiving the ball on demand at the same time um, was really accurate. So I think that aspect of the game was really well from, went really well for both sides, um, which allowed for a number of periods of, of long phases of play. So, that aspect was really, really good. Obviously, it was going to lead into some some um, inaccuracies around set piece. The line out, I think, for both teams struggled at times just because of the slippery ball. Um, I thought, by and large, it was it was pretty accurate around the handling aspect. Oh, Roscoe, really good to hear from you, and um, on congrats on all the excellent work you're doing in the coaching space. I want to ask you ask you an off-the-ball question first. And that, that's, uh, what's Clayton McMillan cool. like in the coach's, coach's box, mate? That's the most animated I think I've seen him for quite a while uh, last night. He's usually quite calm. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, every coach has, has their moments. Um, <laughs> Clayton's really good. Like, he's normally really calm. You know, you just have, yeah. You have, um, you have your days, and, and we've all been guilty of it, where, where you're kind of hoping to see one thing that you've trained throughout the course of the week and you put a lot of energy into, and then um, something completely off script comes out. Um, probably one thing I'm learning as a coach is, is you, you don't actually have any kind of physical control for the contribution on Saturday, so you're kind of just left sitting there just watching and... Uh, I guess you're just hoping for the best for the players. Uh, Clayton's Clayton's really really professional, so um, I think I think that that one shot could be taken out of context. If I'm being honest, in terms of how he operates on a day to day basis. Very very diplomatic answer, Roscoe. You are learning the trade very well. <laughs> <laughs> He's so, run, uh, running for parliament in this election. I'm trying to keep my job, eh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I tell you, Tony Brown told me, Jamie Joseph, mate, he reckons he smashed about six laptops in his time in the coaching box with him. But anyway, we won't go into that. Um, hey, uh, up front, <laughs> <laughs> last night, uh, I was talking earlier about when we sort of uh, were breaking down the contest. We, I think when 
I don't know, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. When you needed to flex your muscles up front in terms of the, the line out, the scrum, guys like Retallick and Tolkiaho and co, they, they all sort of stepped up. When you needed to sort of put the Hurricanes to the sword inside their 22, you must have been pleased with that area because it looked like that's where you were a bit more dominant than they were on the night. Yeah, I, I mean, I think both teams had gone in with pretty ambitious game plans and then, uh, you know, waking up on Saturday morning and, and seeing how the weather was kind of building to, to what it was going to end up presenting game by game time. Uh, everyone's plans kind of changed, so we, we had a conversation pre-game around the need to be direct, um, making sure, you know, that we're accurate, but we, we ask questions of them through, through the middle. Um, and then it was kind of put on some of the senior players to make sure that they really step up in that space and lead the way. Uh, we felt like that we did achieve that, um, but but it was it was very very tough conditions. I spoke to Brody post game and he said it was one of the, the most atrocious conditions he's played a game in because it's, the rain was just like relentless mm. in game. It was hard to see sometimes. Was there more pressure on this team? this week after the back of the loss last week? I mean, you can sit there and go, oh, no, we sort of put that beside us. But, I mean, you know, you've got the Brumbies uh, away in Australia and there was a potential here, potential here from the outside looking at it that, you know, you could end up dropping three games suddenly and how important was that last night to make sure you did get the win? Yeah, I mean, we there was there's been pressure on us each week, I think, that as, as we kept accumulating wins, um, it almost became this expectation in the group that that just winning's not good enough and, and we have to do things better and we have to continually kind of raise the bar around growing our game week to week. Um, the Reds did an incredible job of, of really stifling a lot of play and, and killing a lot of our momentum and then they won a lot of the kick battles which, which forced us to run from deep. Um, and they then, in the back 20 minutes of that game, they defended remarkably well. Uh, to, to kind of prevent the boys from getting over the line at the finish. Um, post that game, you know, it wasn't like a post-mortem as such, but it was more it was more of a, right, this is a great grounding for us as a team. Um, we need to take stock of what's working well and what's what, what we're not quite nailing. And we invested a lot of time into those areas uh, during the week to make sure that this week we kind of were able to take control of the game right from the first whistle and not, and not kind of try and find ourselves in a position of having to chase the game in the last 20 minutes. So, yep, there was, there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of I guess manufactured pressure from within the group to make sure that we we nailed all the one percenters and, and and you know were able to stay on for the full 80 minutes this week to then give us a nice launch pad before we go on this little Aussie league. Roscoe, you've created some really good depth in your squad, and you've actually equally created great competitiveness um, in positions uh, for players to actually keep performing. Otherwise, there's somebody more than able to step in. How, how do you go about working your substitutes? Is this is this premeditated or do you actually, somebody keeps an eye on the forward pack and see, sees somebody's absolutely gassed, we were going to leave him for 60, but he needs to come off now. Is that something you talk about during the week and in-game, do you go pre-meditation or do you just go from what you see to inject some of that talent into the game? It's, it's a bit of both, to be honest, Marshy. There's a bit of a plan around, right, um, 
with the best player around this time and, and, and so forth. But again, yeah, we are sitting there and we're constantly watching the players, um, having conversations with our analysts in terms of in-game instances. You know, have they been, how hard have they been working in the last 10-minute period to see if they're, they're actually on? And obviously you're doing the eye test as well and you're seeing where the players are, are, are really in flow or they're a little bit despondent. And so it's just... We go on with the basic framework, and then and then from that we we kind of look at the the feel of the game, and 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 then watch the individuals within that, and whether they're kind of on an upshot of energy or on a or on a down downshot, then then we make a decision based around that. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of both to be honest. Yeah, Ross, I just want to pick up a little bit off the back of what Justin said. So I want to ask you this question then. Uh, last night we saw Nankerville and Leonard Brown as your midfield combination, but Daniel Rona and Ramika Poihepi have been superb for the Chiefs through most of the regular season. So who is your preferred midfield combination going forward? I'd love to answer that for you, eh, but I'm not the best coach. Oh, come on. All you guys always <laughs> just run, eh? You always just put the blame somewhere else. You will be brilliant in Parliament. We've already touched on that. It's a great question for Roger Randall, eh? Oh. It's a great question for Roger Randall. God. Justin, right, jump in here, Justin. Yeah, no. Again, he's proving to be very diplomatic. I mean, I, I, I asked Justin about props and locks, and he <laughs> no, gives no, an no, honest no, bloody no, answer. No, What's that, sorry? I see Justin always gives an honest answer about props and locks. <laughs> Justin's <laughs> on the other side of the ledger. <laughs> uh, no, it's a good it's a good problem to have though, isn't it? Oh, it's a great problem. Like Ramika and, and Dan Rona um, were extremely like pivotal to our success through that, that early part of the season. You know, we had those early injuries to, to Nanks and, and Anton and um, those two guys came in and they just became glue. And they probably enabled our outsides a lot, you know, and that, that allowed Moni and Itani and, and, and Shooter to, to to run in a lot of space just by those guys just doing their jobs and doing the simple things well. Um, obviously, you... you Anton comes back from injury and Lentz comes back from injury. You know, there is there is other contributing factors around this where people are called in as injury replacements and stuff. So, Might have just lost him there. Have we lost him there? Have we got him? Might have to leave it there. Have we got you there, Ross? No, I think we've lost him. Lost him. Lost him. It's it's really appropriate that again he dropped out <laughs> when he was talking about backs and backline play. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, Roscoe was uh, involved with the Crusaders. Uh, he came down and uh, I, I, he was a breath of fresh air. To be perfectly honest, like, you know, we, we've got uh, at that time we had quite a sort of hardened forward pack, um, but he just bought. Um, a different type of skill set as a as a lock into our mix, but equally, uh, he he was very much a uh, an entertainer off the field, uh, and I think you need guys like that in your side. I'm really pleased to see that his career went the way that it did as a rugby player, but equally he's now moved into coaching and made that a success because he's just one of rugby's genuine nice guys. And uh, if you ever see Roscoe um, and you're walking up to him anywhere, he's always got a smile on his face because. That's the type of personality he is. So uh, it was great to, great to hear from him. And I'm not surprised that he runs for cover when he has to 
talk about the fact that Clayton looked like he smashed a, <laughs> smashed a um, walkie-talkie last night. Oh, and, come on, come uh, on, come and on. And then when it comes to back play, he's running for cover as well. Yeah, uh, come on, Justin. It was, just, it, it was just a one-off moment. The camera just happened to capture, capture him in that one split second, and it was not a true reflection. Anyway, uh, power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. 18 and a half minutes after one, you are listening to the Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, Justin Marshall. Justin, I just touched on this prior to the break that Brad Webber's heading offshore at the end of the season. We know Aaron Smith's heading away as well. Uh, does that mean that Finlay Christie is the number one halfback in the country heading into a new era of all-black coaching next season? And who else potentially now benefits now that the doors are open? Or do we perhaps have a little bit of weakness in regards to halfbacks at the moment based on experience? We do have a weakness based on experience with the exodus of both Brad Weber and um, Aaron Smith, as you mentioned. So we don't have anybody in in the stratosphere really of playing test matches at, at you know and tough test matches. Um, you know, Finley Christie is absolutely the next cab off the rank, and that does make him uh, to a degree the, the incumbent. Um, but you'd also probably argue as well he hasn't established himself well enough to. Um, not be under pressure for that position. Uh, I certainly feel that uh, the, the talent coming through um, is really good. I think that the more opportunities some of those players get, the better. Um, you still have some quality players around that uh, you know you, you could utilise if you wanted to with, with two that are at the Crusaders and Willie Hines and um, Mitchell Drummond. Uh, so you, you don't have... Uh, an issue with um, depth, I, I believe. You've also got Booth um, at, at the Hurricanes. But when you look at the emerging talent, you know, I think if I was going to probably throw a name out there, I would suggest that Cam Roygaard could be a bit mm. of a bolter for the Rugby World Cup um, or even closer to home, maybe the Bledisloe Tri-Nations. I mean, not Tri-Nations, what do you call it now, Rugby Championship. Um, but, 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 but Ian Foster's not going to do anybody any favours for next year. He's not going to develop depth this year for next year, is he? Ian Foster's going to be about Ian Foster in the World Cup now that he's not got that all-black coaching job. I mean, isn't that just human nature? I think Ian Foster and his selectors need to pick the, 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 the best players um, suited to go and win a World Cup. I don't think he looks needs to look at the future at all, and mm. I, I, I argue that anybody's playing better than Cam Roygaard at the moment, <laughs> mm. both offensively and defensively. Uh, you know, he's certainly very much one of the form nines in the country. And when a player's in form, it's no different than picking Sean Stevenson, in my mind. If he's in form and you're brave enough to pick him, pick him. No, well, um, so no, well said, well said. And future halfbacks, you've, you've spoke last week about Noah Hotham. Uh, you've got yep. Cortez Ratama is another one starting to come through, and Fakatavao, who uh, again has probably fallen Been there. out of yeah. form a little bit. That's right. But when you you, you reel off those uh, four names in particular, you know they they are young enough, and, and Fakatava, Ratama, um, Hotham, and uh, also Roygaard. You know you've got. Good depth there, but no experience. So where where are you going to find that from? Are you just going to go, all right, we'll we'll, we'll stick with what we've got. Um, When players are playing well, that's when you can develop them and just get them out there, you know? Like it happened to me. (laughs) I I was was a bolter, and I came out of nowhere, really, and it was exactly the same circumstances uh, for me in 96, or end of 95, I should say, when both Ant Strawn and Graham Bashett went off to Japan post-World Cup, and they took myself, Junior Tonu and um, Stu Forster, 
and I ended up playing the second test, and Laurie Maines had the balls to pick me, because um, I was playing good rugby, and I'll tell you when I'm not, and when I haven't in my career, but at the time, I was playing good rugby, and I had a good tour, and, and Laurie plucked me out of the midweek team and, and started me in a test match that was a difficult one because it was his last as all-black coach and we'd lost the, the test match the week before to the French in Marseille and we're under massive pressure, but he still picked me. So I'm always an advocate for if guys are playing well and they're good enough, um, why wait? No, don't disagree. No, well said, Justin. 0800 1508 11 is the number, Double eight double three. Graham, good afternoon. Oh, g'day, guys. How are you? Good, thanks. Good, yeah, good. no, I remember... Oh, good, Justin. Yeah, I remember when you got picked for that second test. Yeah, because that was a pretty bad test, that, which often happens in France. I mean, we often have a really bad um, one test that's awful, you know, and then you have the second. But I remember you getting brought in, you know, and that was, um, you know, Todd Blackadder, mate. That was his first trip with the All Blacks, too, actually. Yeah, yep. he was in the midweek team, too. Yeah, but no, that was uh, a great, great performance in that second test. But on the um, rugby... Um, the weekend, yeah, I mean, yeah, Roy, I think, you know, just on to add to Roy Gard, yeah, I think I agree with you, Justin and, and Mark, you know, that, um, yeah, there is an experience um, void, but, um, yeah, no, he, you know, you know, even though he's not a crusader, I think he's been, you know, one of the, you know, form, he was form halfback for County's Manukau last year in the NPC, so, yeah, there's a bit of time between now and next year, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put him out, you know, I think he's in there with a shot with this World Cup team too, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, Graham, I think. Yeah, and on the Crusaders, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I I heard you guys turned over at half-time, and I, you know, I have talked to a couple of people yesterday that were the same, but, yeah, I I was pleased with with the um, form, you know, those young guys like Hotham, you know, and Macca Springer, now off to the under-20s, they take no more part in Super Rugby this year, because it um, clashes with the, I think, the tournaments in South Africa, actually, but... um, Yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, no, I was pleased with it because I think Springer has really shown a, um, a clean sweater, sweater heels, you know, he's scored a few tries, you know, and um, he's got a lot of talent and Hotham, you know, with the injury to Willie Hines has, um, you know, plugged the, plugged the gap well with Mitchell Drummond, so yeah, no, I was pleased with their performances, but the, the result really with the Brumbies overnight, you know, that was, um, yeah, I couldn't believe it actually, that, that was a real... Um, it's good for the competition, good for the New Zealand teams too. So, yeah, that was a real eye-opener overnight. Yeah, it was. And I feel that that's opened up the ladder again because there was a certain sense of maybe predictability that was coming about. It's still a bit of jockeying to be done, but the Brumbies falling away has made it really interesting and opened up some doors for some of those New Zealand sides that thought they'd be finishing underneath them. Could possibly put them at the post now. But, yeah, look, it wasn't a disrespectful comment towards the Crusaders. I think I said that when I made the comment. They they looked in rhythm. They looked on song. Everybody looked like they knew what they were doing. They inject, injected guys like Jack Goodhue back into the mix who played outstandingly. Will Jordan's yeah. only getting better by the week. You mentioned the younger players, even Corey Callow, guys like that all stood up. Um, yep. Just great, great rhythm game. from the Crusaders. So it wasn't, it wasn't their fault that they were just mountains better than what um, Moana were. Um, but, yeah, they've got a challenge this week or in the next two weeks with the Waratahs, who are a bit of a sleeping oh, giant, is what Kafer said, and, um, and then on to face a, a full-strength Hurricanes in Wellington. So, yeah, a couple yeah. of tough weeks for them, Graham. Oh, they will be, and it's going to be a great last couple of rounds. You know, 
Well, I know we do, like you said at the start of the show, we uh, pinpoint these games like Crusader Blues games and Crusader Chiefs and Hurricanes Chiefs, you know, these, these, even though last night the Severe and all them were out, which was a real shame for the, for the Hurricanes, but um, yeah, that, that last two rounds are going to be critical and it'll be interesting to see who's available um, with the Crusaders because I think they'll be, you know, I, I think Sam Whitelock will be back, so because Scott Barrett's going to have to be arrested by the looks mm. of it, so... <laughs> Thanks to the, um, the protocols, which Mark and I love. But, um, yeah, but that, yeah, it'll be great two rounds coming up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's a shame that we're looking forward to the last two rounds. I just wish I was looking forward to every round, and I think that is part of the bigger problem. And let's just hope with all this um, damage that's been done to our provincial competitions that we do go on and win a Rugby World Cup, and it's all worth it. I'd hate for us to get knocked out in the quarterfinals, and then we look back over the landscape and go, well, club rugby's in trouble, MPC's in trouble, and they've just gone and killed Super Rugby, and we haven't won a Rugby World Cup. And um, that's the problem when you make uh, rugby too top-heavy. Thanks, Graham. It is 27 minutes after one. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall with you. This is the Rugby Run. Power your business with Kubota, uh, with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. My apologies. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Shortly, Justin will give us his Kubota most reliable player of the round. 28 minutes away from two. Just want to congratulate my mob. Mount Abbott Grammar beating Kings yesterday, 17-15. We were bloody awful. Kings deserved to win it. We were dumb, but somehow we got the job done. Uh, interesting that both Leon McDonald's boys are, I think, at Mount Abbott Grammar School. Peter Alatini out of Kings. We had a little wager going. Kings have had the measure of us in recent times. Uh, Justin, you were just talking about being selected. I mean, most of us can't even imagine what it's like to be selected for the All Blacks and sort of being picked as a bit of a bolter for that 95 tour to France. Where were you when you found out the news that you were going to be picked as part of an All Black squad? Uh, I was actually out and about um, playing some golf, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't even listening or thinking about the All Black side that was being announced. Uh, I had 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 a good NPC campaign with Canterbury, um, but in the last game, that we played uh, in the Ranfurly Shield. We'd lost the Shield to a very, very good Auckland side with the likes of Zinni and Fitzy and uh, Co. all in that side that um, did a demolition job on us, to be honest. And I probably, uh, by my own admission, got put through the ringer that day. Um, they picked on me a bit uh, and they really sort of uh, targeted me and uh, I didn't have a great game. And I thought, I thought that was probably a... a, a litmus test for whether or not I could handle big game pressure and I think I failed so um, I thought the selectors probably and coaches would have looked at that and thought mm, no not ready yet so I wasn't even thinking about that that squad to be honest and uh, I was out having a few beers after the after golf when the team got announced so it wasn't me sitting around the, the TV or the radio whatever it might have been announced on what I was um, not even considering it. Who's the first person you phone when you get named in the All Blacks? Uh, your mum and dad, I think, um, you know, because obviously they're the ones that have been with you through thick and thin, right, since um, you were running around in bare feet uh, and playing the game um, and, and you kind of know that all their hard work is, is paid off as well because when you start making, as any parent will know, uh, you start making rep sides, uh, there's huge commitment and travel for trainings and playing that are involved in that and uh, quite a bit of sacrifice on their behalf, particularly when you're not old enough to drive. So, yeah, that's that's probably what most players, I would say, they're the first point of contact. 
And when you find out you're going to play your first game for the All Blacks, not necessarily your first test, do you sleep the night before? Do you sleep in your jersey? When do you get your jersey? Uh, you don't get your jersey until you arrive at the stadium, um, and that that's, that was in my day. That was hanging on hanging on the peg when I walked into the Parc de France, and that's the first time I uh, sighted it. Um, but uh, the night before, um, no, you don't sleep that well. Uh, you try to. Um, the thing, the unique thing about playing, and this will happen at the Rugby World Cup uh, this year, about playing in France is they they play their night games around 9 p.m. And there's quite a few kickoffs at 9 p.m. And um, I think the final was a 9 p.m. kickoff in, in France mm. this year. So it's a very long day when you haven't slept that well. Um, and then, to be honest, when you get to day game, I mean, when you get to the day of the game with that type of kickoff, it's good to have a nap during the day. So that just compounds the issue, what? Because you can't sleep during the day either. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a long old slog. And is it is it just a blur once the full time whistle goes? Do, do you? I mean, clearly you've got the ability to go back and watch it on television. But do you remember much of it? Or was it just going so quickly? And was it a step up? You probably won't believe this, and many listeners might not either. I've never seen the game again. I never watched, rewatched it. Uh, so I, I felt, and this is going to probably surprise a few people as well, because no, it wasn't a blur. I remember every minute of it, and uh, that was why I never needed to sit down and rewatch it because. I soaked up every single second of that game and loved every minute, and and I, I had convinced myself to do, to do that and to do it justice. I didn't feel that I might ever get another opportunity to play a test for the All Blacks. This was going to be it, so I wasn't going to die wondering, and I was equally going to remember it for the occasion that it was. Uh, so, yeah, no, it certainly. I know many players say that it was intense and it was fast and it went by and I can hardly rem- remember it, but that certainly wasn't the case with me. I, I, I remember it very well. And what? In did, fact, yeah. one. Of, I, th- this is quite comical. I remember being really pump, pumped up early in the game, and um, I remember remember this vividly, where I just got a little pop ball off the ruck, and I sort of pivoted to pass and saw that there was no real first receiver there. So I thought I'd just, with with all the adrenaline flowing carry the ball and 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 I thought I would run hard at a forward and bum, bump off the first person that I run into so I just lined up the nearest French jersey that I could see and ran straight at him dropped my shoulder and my knee and just with all my might gritted my teeth nearly spat my mouth guard out and the player that I run into was a guy called Olivia Merle <laughs> and uh if you've ever seen or haven't seen Olivia Merle before in the flesh or you want to google him the man was an absolute giant, and he literally picked me up and he drove me back about three meters, dumped me on my back, and I spilt the ball backwards. So, yeah, I remember moments of that game like they were just yesterday. And was Zinzan Brook your eight? He was, yeah. And what Mertz your first five was he? Uh, Mertz was. No, I think it might have been Simon Colhane, actually. Mertz got injured. Good he player. Good player, Simon Colhane. Yeah, he was. So, so yeah. you, and Jonah had a hell of a game that day. He, he had a belter of a game. And another guy that many probably don't remember that well as being a very good All Black and a very good rugby player. I remember Eric Rush mm. scoring a great try. Um, Glenn Osborne was fullback. Mm. So, yeah, we had quite a unique team. Because you were saying that the Blues had beaten you up badly and that ran fairly shield. Does any remind you of that on tour? He did remind me of that because I had to room with him um, in that last week, uh, and I had to room with him um, at the start of the tour as well. Just uh, they put me with him to to learn the ropes. Um, so yeah, he did remind me of that, and, and continually did so throughout that entire game as well. The game of that ramp, thats what I mean. They picked on me, him and Fitzy, 
like they sledged the hell out of me and they really put me off my game. Um, and that's that experience we were talking about, yep. isn't it? Yep. You know, like you, you can't coach that. And, and it unsettled me and I hadn't, I wasn't used to it. And they let me know that I was just a schoolboy and that they had played, you know, more test matches as I had hot dinners and that I was actually should be go, I should be in the playground, not at Jade Stadium. They told me, go back to the playground and go for a, go for a swing and a slide and a seesaw. It's just like, oh my God. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's funny though, because I, I always, you know, when you start getting first getting to talk back radio and you're a bit green and you're learning the mm-hmm. way and you get the texts that come in and everyone's telling you how crap you are and you read it and it throws yeah. you and you sit there and then, you know, these days social media is even worse and you're thinking, yeah. I always remember Brendan Telfer saying to me, mate, if you're going to get into this game, you just make sure you're resilient. You just make sure you've got thick skin, my friend, or you won't survive. And he's bloody right, you know, it's yeah. like... Yeah. That is, and there again is a you know a, a master broadcaster giving you great advice and tutelage, you know, because you you know he's absolutely bang on. You've got to be resilient, but you've also um, got to be aware of it, so that when it does happen, you've had somebody with that experience telling you how to cope with it, and uh, that's no it's no different than than on the rugby field. Twenty one minutes away from two. Okay, Justin um, Kubota. Together we are shaping and building New Zealand. Who is your Kubota most reliable player of the round? Okay, um, again, there might be a few eyebrows raised, but that's fine because I'm happy to have the debate. Um, on uh, worthy mentions, um, Samasoni Taukeaho. I thought he really stepped up uh, for the Chiefs um, and and had a belter of a game for them when when needed. Uh, Mark Taylor, obviously, uh, his performance. And the demolition of the Reds, um, he was simply outstanding. Uh, but my Kubota, reliable player of the round, believe it or not, is a guy called Billy Harmon, the captain at the Highlanders. Um, they don't they don't win that game without him on the field. Uh, I thought that his leadership, uh, everything that he did on the park, his the turnovers um, that he got in that game were massive. Um, and he just does it week in and week out, Billy Harmon. He is a very underrated player. There's no doubt that um, we're, we're just blessed with great loose forwards, but he wouldn't be um, he wouldn't be out of place in any international rugby jersey um, in the world. Um, so yeah, he's my Kubota player, player, reliable, reliable player of the round. Kubota for over forty years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building New Zealand together. You are listening to the Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall will take a break. We'll come back with more. If you've got a question for Justin, you want to, I don't know, talk some nostalgia, uh, anything that's on your mind, feel free. 0800 150 is the number. Yeah, and want to acknowledge Kubota too for their ongoing support as well as Bunnings. Coming up after 2 o'clock, we'll bring you live netball coverage. It is the Stars taking on the Mystics. It is an all-Auckland derby is probably the best way of describing it. Mark Watson alongside of me, All Black, great Justin Marshall. Uh, Justin, one of my concerns and, I guess, criticisms over the last 10 or 15 years is players heading offshore and um, the threat of leaving New Zealand has meant that their salaries or their incomes have been upped significantly because we're scared that they might head offshore and we'll lose some valuable experience. But we've never seemed to do much to try and keep our intellectual property here. Never seemed to do much to want to keep our top coaches in the country. Is that now coming back to bite us for the fact that no one really wants the Blues job, no one really wants the damn Hurricanes job, and I'm not sure anybody, well, I'm sure probably someone's putting their hand up for the Crusaders job. I mean, how concerned should we be with the state of coaching and possibly the lack of expertise and experience in that area? Yeah, a little bit concerned. Um, there's no doubt that 
history has shown that some of our top coaches that have gone away and have returned to New Zealand have been better for it. So there is some merit in saying that that it's not a lost cause in allowing coaches to go and grow their mind. Yeah, yeah but, but don't we hand our intellectual property over to those other countries, though? We do, uh, but equally we also, I, I believe, gather information from them as well. Okay. And uh, I believe that the game has grown so much. There was a time where, as New Zealanders and, and as rugby players and probably administrators and coaches, that we thought that we had the best product and the best players and our way was certainly the only way to go. And that proved to be the case for a long period of time. But the, the, with professionalism, the rest of the world has caught up. And you know, having spent time playing in, in the UK and Europe, uh, I certainly see that they have uh, better better ideas in certain areas, um, not so good ideas in others. Uh, but there is a lot to be learnt from them in that part of the world. And, and coaches, I think, can get to work with different players. They can get a different idea and perspective of how to play the game. Uh, and it certainly helps them in that regard. So yeah, it's not it's not a loss, uh, but yeah, there's a bit concerning when you do mention that we are losing um, some coaches to overseas and we don't ever seem to want to go backwards, do we? So if you've coached at, the, at a super rugby level here in New Zealand, you don't tend to ever go back. Now, why are we not allowing Ian Foster um, to go back? Just for, this is just for an example to to coach the Blues. Um, why why do we not allow some of our key coaches uh, the ability to come back and, and coach uh, our Super Rugby teams just because they've climbed the mountain of doing the All Blacks or or another international team? You know, would it, would there be any harm in Robbie Dean's returning and coaching a Super Rugby franchise here in New Zealand, for example? So. That's probably where our mindset is, is quietly is a little bit off. I don't know what people think about that. Do they feel that once you've done that, what do you think? What do you think that those guys, all of a sudden, because they've coached the All Blacks, can't coach a Super Rugby franchise with their knowledge? Well, I think it's up to them. I mean, do they find that too big a step down? I'm not sure. I mean, clearly there's big opportunity for coaches financially overseas now, and I get that. But I would have thought that mm. coaching the Blues historically, and maybe this is what we keep going on about the slowly eroding of this competition, and maybe the prestige is gone. But I would have thought that there'd be a point coaching the Crusaders or coaching the Blues would have been like coaching Liverpool or Manchester United and that you'd just yep. be putting your hand up to do it. I mean, yep. just simply to say you've done it, to be part of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I feel that uh, we, we certainly want to make that type of coaching role um, as prestigious, as important as it should be. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know the ins and the ins and outs financially of the 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 way that you're proportionately broken down as a coach that is it, is it that's a much more significant that you are better to go coach offshore and, or coach an international side than coach a super rugby franchise i i would suggest that's probably the case which is mm -hmm. kind of what you're alluding to you know like not only a step down um in terms of you know if you've coached international teams to go to super rugby which is not far off international rugby anyway but when you've been coaching at that level for quite a while, the, the probably the remuneration is not um, what those types of coaches are after, if I was trying to put my finger on it. Would there be an opportunity here for a for a coach like Brad Thorne? Would he benefit spending some time coaching here in New Zealand? Can't see why the, a guy like that who 
has gained a massive amount of knowledge in his time in Australia, uh, coaching not only the Reds, but going back there to play as a player, um, getting back into rugby league as well, um, coming back to New Zealand and fulfilling a role. Uh, absolutely. You know, there's plenty of opportunities. We don't, we don't ever, t- here's one for you. We don't ever tend to have foreigners coaching mm. our, our super rugby sides, do we? We don't, often think about a um an eddie jones coming and coaching a super rugby franchise here in new zealand or a gregor townsend or whatever we have had coaches come over here like how successful has ronan agara got yeah. since been uh, at the crusaders well they just like, just, just won the european championship the overnight yeah i see it what was it by one point yeah 27 26 <laughs> they were 17 points down against leinster played in ireland too so we, 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 you know, we are quite happy to bring them in. You know, why can we not allow head coaches that are not New Zealanders? Do we feel that they won't be thinking about All Black rugby enough? Or but, but, but it's, it's part of the problem being too. Like there's, you know, a lot of people talk about Ian Foster's appointment as being rightly or wrongly. But the perception is there was a lot of nepotism there that he was appointed originally by Steve Hansen because he was a mate, not so much based on his coaching resume, etc. And so a lot of coaches just don't see a pathway through to the top. They don't see anything beyond Super Rugby. I mean, do we have the pathways right? I mean, do you need to be have to coach at MPC before coaching Super Rugby? Like a player, is it too big a step? up to not have spent some time at that level? I don't think so if you're under the right criteria. If you're under the right head coach and uh, he understands um, what your philosophies are and, and your relationship with the players as well. Again, you've got to have a good relationship with them. I don't feel you need to go through the stepping stones. Um, if you've got good knowledge and awareness of the game, Ben Smith's a classic example. But like, great players well, don't necessarily make great coaches though, do they? No, they don't. Absolutely, they don't, and and that's something to be very wary of. Oh. Um, but certainly, I feel that coaches that have been um, in the mix for quite a long time can get a feel of whether a player will be a good coach or not, and then nurture them through it. You know, look, look, let, let's think about it. Is there any reason why, um, for example, to a degree, Joe Smith, Scott McLeod? Um, can't go back into coaching Super Rugby franchises just because they are now no longer All Black coaches. Mm. No, well, I just don't think we've got the depth. I just don't think we can afford to be that pig-headed. We need to make sure that, you know, mm. we get the best intellectual property bringing our young talent through. Yeah, for sure. Mm. It is seven minutes away from two o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. You are listening to the Rugby Run. Uh, we've just got a couple of minutes left of this programme. Special thanks to Kubota. Special thanks to Bunnings. Just some final thoughts, Justin? Yeah, I just think uh, in terms of the, the topics we've covered, they're all good. We're just all about trying to look at making rugby more positive, aren't we? And, yeah. and more exciting for the fans and more exciting for to a degree, the players and coaches and administrators as well. Um, I think the closer we get to globalising the game, um, in, in some degree, the better, uh, because we will get genuine contests there. It, it excites me to think about the Crusaders playing La Rochelle, the, the Blues playing uh, Munster. You know, if we can get that in the future, that, that's that's really exciting. Um, and it gives the spectators and the players something completely different that they've not experienced before. So... I think that's important to keep working towards. Um, equally, Super Rugby's really starting to ramp up. You know, two two rounds to go. Uh, the table is looking pretty congested. Uh, the Chiefs look set to host the final. Um, bit bar a miracle, I would imagine. So, 
yeah, everybody's chasing chasing them, but they haven't got an easy mm. couple of weeks ahead of them uh, and plenty of other permutations to play out. So, yeah, we're going to get some pretty exciting rugby in the next few weeks. Oh, I still think Crusaders are going to win this. That's just my gut feeling when everybody's <laughs> back on deck. Hey, I'm just curious. I'm, we had a text in earlier. I just want to know what the documentary about the steam frame was because I'm damn curious. Must have been a bloody <laughs> good documentary, mate. I, some of those I documentaries know, are interesting, aren't they? Steam trains? Yeah, but- well, they seem to be. What did Wayne Smith say that he switched the rugby over? He wanted to watch a documentary on nature or something, didn't he? Mm. So, um, yeah, it seems that people that are wanting to watch something like a contact sport like rugby, when it's annoying them and they don't want to watch it anymore, they tend to trend, to, trend towards quite, I, I guess, a different type of uh, thing to watch, which is steam train documentaries. So that, the that Kings- is left field as far as you can get. Yeah, the Kingston Flyer, mate. That's not too far from you, is it? The Kingston Flyer. I went past it today. Did you? I went, Back, oh, you drove you drove back from Dunedin. I did, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. No, nice down Devil Staircase. Rode that into Southland years ago. Anyway, Justin, we will leave it there. But thank you as always. Greatly appreciated. Lovely show. We'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks, thanks, what? Thanks for everybody that joined us this afternoon. Four and a half minutes away from two. Netball up next here on SENZ. That is another edition of the Rugby Run, courtesy of Bunnings Power. Your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Special thanks to Kubota. For over 40 years, they've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building New Zealand together. Special thanks to Ben Francis. Up next, it is the Stars up against the Mystics.